0: Welcome to Champ. Welcome to Champ. We are United. Episode number 11, the podcast which takes you back to the heyday of British football comics from the 1960s, 70s, 80s and into the 90s. And a big welcome tonight indeed to our international listeners that we have picked up it seems in the last few weeks. So a big hello. Goes and a shout out goes to uh, the USA, to Luxembourg, to the Netherlands, to New Zealand, uh, quite incredibly Australia, Ireland, the Netherlands, India, Venatu, Germany and Jersey and I hope I haven't missed anybody out there and um, if I have done then don't worry I'll, I'll catch up with you next week on that. As ever just a wee reminder of our Main website, which is www.champweareunited.proboards.com, where you can find many discussions about football comics, and also do give us a follow on Twitter as well under Champ We Are United. So for this episode in the studio this evening, I'm delighted to welcome along Kevin McCallion of the Daily Record, very well known publication in Scotland. And Kevin is a sports journalist who has recently been uh, working on the periodical, football periodical Nutmeg, which he's going to be telling us about, and has an article published indeed on none other than Football Picture Story Monthly, in which um, some of our site members get a, get a mention there, as does the podcast. And so we look forward to that. So, welcome, Kevin. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me on, it's, it's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And if you want to tell us then, mention sports journalism, really just how you get started in that line of work.
1: Yeah, well, um, dated back, to, I was kind of born and raised in Dundee, and um, at my high school we had a, a newspaper day as part of a thing all over the UK where schools had to produce a newspaper for the day. And I'd always been interested in football, so I was kind of assigned to, to do the, the sports side of it. And just that kind of um, thrill of trying to get all the day's sports news and deciding what went where and which stories would go as the main one on the back, which ones you would do, and just kind of got the, the bug for it. Um, so on, um, we did more um, issues of the the newspapers, um, and it was more like magazines we do every two or three months. So that kind of kept things boiling over, and then I went away to to university at um, Napier's University, is the the one in Scotland where you go to study journalism. Um, before, it had been a lot of people who come through the ranks uh, from local newspapers or kind of sent to Napier to get the qualification. And it's just like a kind of one-year, two-year course. But um, by the time I went there in 1996, it was, um, they'd stretched out into a full kind of four-year degree where you did basically everything. <laughs> they crammed so much in and we learned about Printing presses we learned apart from the main ones were like law and shorthands, or the ones you had to do that were actually relevant to your work, and little bits about news writing. But we got everything we knew how printing presses worked just to kind of stretch out into the four years. Um, So I was actually quite fortunate. And on the day I went for my interview um, at Napier, um, I was sitting waiting outside, and there was a guy also there for his interview called Simon O'Hare and um, he was already working in the industry as um, a copy boy. Um, copy boys basically no longer exist today but they were basically um, around newspaper offices to kind of help out and do all the, the deeds that really nobody wanted to do like photocopying and Putting um the pages together and dummies things like that, and mm-hmm. obviously a task for getting uh, teas and coffees as well. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but Simon he worked on the, the Sunday Mail as their copy boy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great things at the Sunday Mail at the time it was um sports editor was called George Chin and his assistant Billy Hanna, and they had a a great thing that again sadly no longer exists in the industry where copy boys would be kind of Trained up and showed the ropes so that they would be able to move into either writing or um, editing in the paper itself. Mm -hmm. So, um, part of that was with Simon. He was in the process of moving in towards the kind of editing side of things. Um, So, he was already working for the Sunday Mail when I met him. And then about into the second year at uni. Um, the boss was asking Simon if there was any other people on the course that were interested in football that might be able to come on board. So he uh, thankfully kind of put my name forward. And it just kind of snowballed from there, really. Um, started out, the first game I did was uh, a Junior Cup semi-final in Scotland. Right. And it was uh, at Rob Royce Stadium. And I kind of got incredibly lucky with that one in um, the one of the teams were 5-0 and for the last goal it was a penalty and they let their goalkeeper take a penalty. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had basically a, a goalkeeper scoring in the first ever game that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of went from there from juniors to doing Division 2 then Division One, and then eventually up into kind of Premiership and mm. Internationals, It just kind of was a natural progression, so right? That
0: any, was good, yeah. <laughs> any particular matches that stand out
1: that you've reported on? Well, the one, that, the one that um, kind of made made them sit up and take notice was was okay. I think it was the second or third one I did. Um, they sent me to do a feature on um, it was Gretna, who at that time were still playing um, in England, and the kind of angle was um, Scottish team in the FA Cup, so it was kind of a, a lower um, kind of first round or something like that in the FA Cup. Gretna were playing against an English team, so. I was sent down to kind of do a feature about this and um, and I really kind of impressed the bosses. So um, that kind of showed them that I had something about me and mm. it kind of went from there. Um, the other one, they used to kind of make me do these kind of strange assignments that nobody else would do basically. So um, I remember once I got, saying I was when, um Airdrie fans, did a 16-mile walk from um, Airdrie to Falkirk for the game. Right. Uh, it was when there was kind of issues over their stadium and things. So I was kind of sent along to do this 16-mile walk with, yeah. <laughs> with the Airdrie players. Um, wow. And another one stood out was that um, there was a player for Stirling Albion in the kind of late 90s, I was also called Kevin McCallion so right. they thought it'd be a good idea to get Kevin McCallion to interview Kevin McCallion so yeah, yeah. that was yeah. that was another one that was a, a bit awkward for both me and the guy from Stirling so yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so right. that was a bit a bit strange yeah yeah
0: yeah good
1: a and then um, yeah I was quite fortunate that um when I was still at uni um They would send me to kind of do English games for them. So Mm. Um, I got to watch quite a lot of good Premier League football and the late 90s as well. Um, So I go to places like Old Trafford and um, St James's Park. And the kind of biggest game ever was um, when England beat Germany 5 1 in Germany. The Sunday Mail kind of sent me to cover that. I was probably the, the only British person not happy that yeah. <laughs> in the stadium in England or Iceland was taking Yeah. Yes, I, a bit strange, aye. Yeah. But I was, yeah, yeah. I was the only Scottish guy there. The rest, of the, the press corps were all the kind of Fleet Street's famous. So yeah,
0: that <laughs> yeah. was quite funny.
1: Me sitting there wanting the Germans to live. <laughs>
0: yeah. And in more recent times, you've become involved with Nutmeg, which, as I said earlier, is a a, period, a really good periodical about Scottish football and, and many different elements of the game in Scotland, and some fantastic journalism which is involved there. So, so how, did, how did that come about? Yeah,
1: well, basically, um, although I started out as a reporter and a writer, um, but then from about 2003 onwards, I moved into the production side of journalism. Um, so I was working as a sub editor for many years, and then um, I got involved in the kind of production side of the Daily Record, coming in as um assistant. A sports editor and now my role is kind of deputy sports production editor um so when you're doing that you're not you're not writing as such your day job you're kind of doing headlines and proofreading and deciding designing pages and things like that um so basically i kind of got out of the habit of writing and then a couple of my colleagues the production side of things um Jenny Clark and Alan Robertson, who both work for the records. Uh, they were writing stuff for Nutmeg. So I kind of spoke to, to Alan about it. and He said, oh, they, they take submissions from, from anyone, really. So i would had a few ideas of features that, and the good thing about Nutmeg is they you can write like 2,000, 3,000 word-long pieces that, you just can't do in a newspaper where the kind of limit, for the record, would be something like 850, 900 words. So right. uh, the good thing about not
0: making
1: right about anything, and you can just give it what it deserves, really. So yeah, uh, first one I did for them was about the you know the play-by-mail football that used to oh, have yeah. in the,
0: the early nineties. Yeah, remember
1: what? So uh, I remember game myself when I was a, a teenager mm-hmm. so um, I was kind of wondered what what happened to play-by-mail does it still exist so
0: yeah. I
1: kind of went back into it and found out that there was still like two or three play-by-mail games that are still running basically um,
0: okay.
1: even though most people are football manager now really yeah so um, I spoke to a few people Still play it and things like that, and that turned into quite a nice feature. Mm. Um, and then I've done kind of two or three more since then. And the latest one, as you said at the start of the, the program, is the one of the football picture story Monthlies. Yeah, which I remember reading as a kid, and thought, "Oh, again, I'll go back and see see why they stopped really, and mm. find out about the history of them, and find out if there's still collectors out there who Cherish them and i found out that yeah, that there definitely is, and it kind of led me towards your podcast. And I found out that uh Riverton United story is still still in the hearts of so many people. So that's yeah. it turned into an interesting feature.
0: <laughs> yeah, and of course, there's there's a connection really with yourself growing up in Dundee, the home of DC Thompson, and the publisher yeah. mm-hmm. of Champ, which, of course, contained the Riverton United story, which was then continued in the Picture Story Monthlies. And so did you you read the the Picture Story Monthlies from right about the start in the 80s or or was it a bit later?
1: I think it was probably, um, I think the first one came out in
0: 1986,
1: Mm -hmm. which is kind of when I really seriously got into football. Um, I was only 1982 World Cup. I can't remember. I was only like four years old when that came out. But uh, 86 in Mexico, Diego Maradona just kind of captured my imagination and (laughs)
0: that
1: was me. You know, I was away. (laughs) So football was the best thing in the world. So I don't recall buying them particularly at that time. It was probably maybe a couple of years after that I started buying them. But I I would, I would just read anything I could about football so yeah. it'd be like match, match and shoot and yeah. Roy the Rovers and um, because Football Picture Story was um, printed in Dundee it was quite readily available it was yeah. um, I think they sold them in my ASDA. that was down the road from me a local news agent had it and every time I would go through it see my grandparents in Glasgow, they would have it at the, the train station as well, so mm. you would buy one to kind of read on the train and stuff, so
0: yeah.
1: and uh, it was also a kind of connection, one of my, my friends from school um, his dad actually worked on the comics in DC Thompson's right. so uh, his name was um, Brian Petrie and I remember in your last podcast you were kind of talking about um, Jimmy Grant's yeah. And I spoke to Brian about the football picture story monthly to kind of try and find some of his old colleagues. And he told me on that telephone call that he was actually the kind of creator of Jimmy Grant. So oh. he was the one that initially got to, to Jimmy Grant on, uh, I think it was Victor's comic, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, that would be, well, would be great I mean, to have him on as well. Yeah, at some point if, if possible. Um, I'll see if you in touch yeah, that would be fantastic and some of the characters as you mentioned we we got into talking about them last time out and Jimmy Grant was was one of the focus players that we we mentioned but were there any that stood out for yourself as characters or or storylines yeah I think
1: the, the Riverton ones Looking back, um, they were the ones that kind of stood out for me um, just because there was a continuation of the story as such, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and a lot of the Football picture Story Monthlies were kind of one-off stories, which were good. But yeah. if you have that continuation, you obviously feel a bit more for the characters and things. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I kind of never kept all of my collection basically i think my mum and dad you know put them in the loft or lobbed them basically so yeah but well, <laughs> I, went... yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went back to try and control my memory when i was doing the article um i kind of went just on ebay and tried to buy a few mm. old copies so um i managed to get a few and there was kind of recollections when i went back um there's one i got called um Grammar Reeves, I don't know if you've seen that one yourself. Um, It's about uh, an orphan who kind of wrongly gets um, in trouble with the law at the start of the story when he's in in the crowd at a football match and a fight breaks out and he's kind of wrongly lumped into it. Um, So he ends up having to do community service and um, he does community service on the farm I think of an ex-football player who whilst playing football with him spots that he's quite good. Yeah. So he arranges for him to have a trial at the local team and it all kind of kicks off from there. Yeah. Um, but what I enjoyed about that one, which it really does kind of hark back to an older day is that the story hinges in the end. It's um a big promotion game, and they have to win to go up to the, the top flight. Um, but Rama Reeves refuses to scythe down the striker as he runs through because it goes against his Corinthian spirit and he loses the game 1-0 because the striker puts the ball in. So I thought, it's just the kind of story that really is incredible these days in football, you know, that back in those days you could probably still just cling to the
0: ideal that somebody might think that way. Absolutely. And I think as, as we mentioned the last time we spoke on the phone about the Picture Story Monthlies, there was a sense, wasn't there, not only have it been very much of the, the time of the 1980s, but also I, for me, there was a, a working class element to it where, it, you know, it would be in normally set in some sort of industrial town, or it would be, as you, as you mentioned there, you know, somebody had kind of gone off the rails, and then they, they get back in the straight and narrow. But but throughout, there was a there was a real sense of community. I think that, that came through a lot of the stories uh, in Picture Story Monthly. Would you would you think that's part of the appeal?
1: Yeah, I think so. The um, thing when you look back at them, I mean, they were written in the nineteen eighties, but I think you're probably the writers are probably maybe thinking back to their own childhood as such. So yeah. there's more of a of the kind of 50s and 60s about it, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. And, um I mean, the 80s are a pretty bleak time to be a, a football fan, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, especially down in England, you know, so much hooliganism and mm-hmm. so much trouble. But in that kind of period after the 1966 World Cup, up until the kind of, Mid seventies, you had a a real sense of community, and people were in it together, and mm. that kind of idea that you don't have now. In that, even if your team is kind of middle of the second division and struggling, that with a good manager and some good players, in three years' time they could be winning the first division, yeah. which kind of happened with Liverpool. The biggest example is kind of Nottingham Forest with Brian Clough. Um, and that's what football should be about. You should be able to go from to the highest point of the game. And it should be a level playing field. But obviously since the advent of Sky and uh, the Champions League, it's just impossible because it's the money involved means that. If you're lucky, you get a a 10,000 to one shot like Leicester winning the league, but it's mostly going to be between four teams in England and it's definitely going to be just two teams in Scotland.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And undoubtedly, the the picture story monthly, you know, in particular is a million miles away in its ethos from, as you said, where we are now. Obviously, the, the recent Super League, uh, debacle, really, um, which ensued a couple of months ago, you know, unimaginable to us, I think, growing up in the 1980s, the 1990s even, before the advent of Sky, when we were talking earlier, just before we come on, about a UEFA Cup final, which took place in your, your home city of Dundee, between Dundee United and Gothenburg, uh, which in- incredibly we were both actually at as it turns out, in 1987. And, you know, that, that type of match in a, a, a European final is now impossible because of the money involved in mm-hmm. the game. And yet, going back to some of these older comics, you know, as you said, aspiration was there. These smaller clubs could rise. They could build a team from the second division. Um, and, and, yeah, all, all that's going. mm
1: mm-hmm. That's funny as well. I mean, you're talking about Dundee United. I saw a thing on Twitter. They had um, it was an old kind of um, clipping from a, an old football magazine. I think it was 1987 or 88, and it had um, it was a transfer story about um, Dundee United trying to sign Josimar, yes. who was um, Brazil starting right back. In the World yeah. Cup, <laughs> yeah. and if you just think about that. time um, you got you got United trying to sign basically their eighty six Danny Alves. Okay. and It's just it's, it's absolutely absurd to think about it now. But I mean, yes. obviously that 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 was an incredible destination for for Marr at the time.
0: Yeah,
1: which is just it's, it's mind boggling. And you yeah. think that it's not it's long it's a long time ago, but it's not. 50 years ago, you know? I mean, this is
0: no. what happened when I was a child, you know? So. Yeah, No, I remember, I remember that story as well. And, and also, Josie Mars scoring a absolute screamer against Northern Ireland in the, the Mexico World Cup, oh. you know? Um, and I think that, you know, they kept playing that highlight over when Dundee United were, were talking about signing this guy. But as you suggest, again, it wasn't mm. implausible for a player of that stature <laughs> to arrive. Um, somewhere like Tanadice and, and again just, you know, uh, unthinkable now. So well, you mentioned Match and Shoot and also Royal the Rovers there, but any other football comics that you you read when you were growing up?
1: Um, in terms of comics, I don't think so. No, it was kind of Royal the Rovers and um, Picture Story Monthly were pretty much the only ones that Kind of jogged the memory um there's other kind of magazines like when saturday come yeah. and um i think in the kind of early 90s 19 minutes started as well mm-hmm. and then when i was kind of getting older obviously a kind of 442 just launched i think in about 94 95 so mm. when you get older you kind of leave behind match and shoot and you think wow i mean you see um 442 for the first time. You're just like, it's nothing like this before, you know. So no. No. There's it also great. um I was also saying there was a thing that was actually a kind of precursor to Nutmeg. Um in the late 90s and the kind of boom time after Euro 96, there was a kind of English and European literary. Magazine along the same lines as Nutmeg, I think. I kind of remember the name of it, um, but it was um, started by like Simon Cooper who oh. wrote um, Football Against the End. Hmm. And I remember I used to buy that um, when I was kind of late teens, and there was some really good writing in that. Um, I think the first issue you had there was one about um, Marco Van Basten's room at his house, and his dad did kind of kept it as a, a shrine to him. Right. There was all the, the different things in Marco van Basten's childhood room. Um, I think that, that was quite poignant at the time because he'd just been like forced to retire through his injuries. So mm. That was one that, that stuck in my mind. I, again, I had them. I had the first five copies of that um, compendium all at home, but they're, they're gone now, I think. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly lost, but n- not met very much in in a spirit, so it's yes. a similar, they are writing similar style, but obviously the the slants on Scottish football rather than English and international. So, yeah,
0: yeah, and it's been quite a change. I mean, you mentioned 442, which was a different direction for football journalism altogether at that time. It really was a quite a major step up, of course, in the sort of uh, mid 1990s. But why, why do you think that we don't? you know, obviously we don't have football comics nowadays, but yet, when you look around, I mean, any comic titles and you know, W.H. Smith's the normal one, isn't it? But it's mostly based on the Marvel characters or DC, uh, but yet Commando, of course, is, is still going, but we don't have that football comic. Do you think there's any particular reason for that?
1: Um... No, it does seem strange. Um, I would think with the Commando comics, I would imagine uh, the readership is older people rather than like kids that read the Commandos. Um, I think there would be a similar appetite for like Football Picture Story Monthly, but again, it would be with the original readers who read it in the 80s and 90s rather than kids coming through um i mean the big thing with mobile phones and the kind of modern generation is just um attention span really um I mean, i've got an eight-year-old daughter and she finds it quite hard now to like concentrate watching a kid's film which would run for an hour and a half
0: yeah
1: and um, because it's all youtube so she'll find something on youtube and then she'll watch it for a bit and if she doesn't like it, she'll move to the next Mm. one. And obviously when you've got like Facebook and Twitter, which thankfully my daughter doesn't use, um, but these are all, you're scrolling down and something doesn't catch your attention, you watch it, but if you're not kind of grabbed within the first couple of minutes, you'll just move on to the next one. So (laughs) I think that's probably why comics don't exist. But it's a bit strange because obviously... Football is more more popular now than it was in 1986 when yeah. the comics football yeah. picture story monthly launched. So mm. um, it's just strange, yeah. I mean, I think if they probably launched like a digital version, maybe, and didn't charge too much for it, then it m- mm. maybe, yeah. But it's just mm. it's habitual, isn't it? I mean, it's
0: yeah.
1: people watching again, entertained on their phones and their laptops, So yeah. I know. The print, which is a problem for the newspaper industry in general,
0: yeah.
1: is that people are getting their news from the phones rather than newspapers. so
0: yeah, it's a
1: similar thread for comics. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, definitely, and hopefully that doesn't apply to podcasts as well. I think you're right that people <laughs> they listen and they scroll, they scroll down, don't they? In the video for for. A minute or so, and decide if we're going to continue watching, and it really is that foot machine effect which the social media giants mm-hmm. are, are, you know, very adapt, adept at. With them, um, scroll down, scroll down, keep going until you hit the, the sevens, hopefully. Uh, and that's how it all works, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that, that makes it very difficult for a comics market. And uh, you know, I think we, we talked about this in a previous podcast, but I wonder if. Going back to the 1970s and 80s, you know, it's incredible to think now that as far as live football and TV went, you had the FA Cup final, of course, and the Scottish Cup final, and the Scotland-England match and the British Championship, and, and mm-hmm. that was maybe the European Cup final. But that was it, you know? And, and obviously, there was you got the, your news through the newspapers, no social media, no internet. And, and so there was probably a much greater market as a result for an appetite to, to just read about football and, and comics filled that gap at the mm-hmm. time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um if you look back when you you're a kid as well, um you're only getting two and a half hours of like children's TV programs every day. <laughs> yeah, kind of I mentioned this in the article, it's there's a a so kind of two hour window between when school finishes and when neighbours and home and away started <laughs> on the TV with you, right. your stuff, and obviously, you got kind of more on Saturday mornings or whatever. But
0: yeah.
1: I think because you're sitting watching telly all the time, you had to find other ways to fill your time. So, yeah, if you weren't out playing football outside, then you were reading about it, and mm. um, because it just wasn't there, as you say. I mean, there were big. It was a big, big occasion when you find football on the TV. I mean, always used to remember. You used to sometimes get kind of highlights of, like, say, an English League Cup match or something on ITV mm-hmm. at half ten. Sometimes you think, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever!" Yeah, because you were just not expecting it at all. No. and but like now, you, it's just oversaturation, really. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: especially with. COVID staggering kickoff times. I mean, you can you can spend a Saturday watching like five live games in a row if it takes your fancy, you know, but yeah. I don't think anybody can find that palatable. You know? And it's just by the time you get through the second one, you're it's enough really. <laughs> I think I think that's a problem for the way football's going, you know. I mean mm. you're releasing the experience of going to a game with just watching it in front of the TV and I think you'll find with a lot of younger fans as well I mean, they don't sit and watch the match completely maybe if it's like their own team, but whilst they're watching the game they'll be like tweeting about it and checking Facebook whilst the game's on, you know, so you lose that kind of focus and stuff Um, and again I think that's a kind of fundamental shift in how people are consuming their media, in that it's not you don't consume one thing and move on to the other one. You're doing like three or four at the same time, mm. um which inevitably you're not going to get the same enjoyment from it.
0: No, absolutely. Moving up, moving on to what's to come, and uh, you know, talking there about the the glut of football and TV, but of course we have the Euros coming up in a couple of weeks and it's I think fair to say there's there's a bit of excitement building up here in Scotland because naturally we've had to wait 23 long years to qualify for any uh, finals tournament it's it's good I have to say it's good to be in there along with England and also with Wales I think it's a shame that that Northern Ireland didn't make it as well so it was a full set but um what are, you, what are your thoughts on the Euros and, and how do you think? Um, we have to mention all sides here, of course. And uh, how do you think the three home nations will do?
1: Yeah, um, well, one of the, the other things I do for the, the paper is some um, kind of the resident tipster on football <laughs> games. And I was actually, this morning, I was kind of looking at all the groups and starting to get together a kind of preview of that. Yeah. Um, for Wales, I was kind of. Hopefully, the Welsh people won't be too upset with me, but I was saying it does. It doesn't look too good for them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it is quite a quite a hard group they've got. Um, but they showed last time. I mean, most people would have said Wales wouldn't qualify from the group where uh, England, Russia, and Slovakia. I think it was last time, but uh, I think they ended up topping that group
0: um,
1: and yeah. going to the final Semi-finals, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and I think um, Scotland's you're hoping that with the games being held at hand and having a f- I think there's due to be about 15,000 fans in for that one. Yeah. You're hoping that um, you can maybe get one win against either the Czechs or the, the Croats and then England, you're just maybe hoping for a draw, I think, um, yeah. at the best. But yeah. Croatia, although they got to the semi finals and England got to the semi finals of the World Cup, I don't think they're amongst the kind of four best teams in the world. So um, I think it would be a lot scarier if you we were in a group where like France, Portugal, and yeah. um, Germany, like poor Hungary, <laughs> yeah. at the finals. So um, yeah. I, would, I would expect England. To win that group. Yeah. Um, but I think Scotland's course of the way the tournament's set up, if you can win one of those games, you've still got quite a good chance of going through. Yeah. Um, so
0: the I hope <laughs> <to the> <laughs> Indeed. But if it was your tip for the, the tournament winner, though, at this stage?
1: Well, it's quite tricky because I think one of the teams in the group of death will win it. But mm. There's also the potential for one of them getting knocked out in the first yeah. round because they're all playing against yeah. each other. Um, I was looking at the odds the other day, and um, the bookies actually have like France and Germany as like joint favourites to win that group. But I mean, I think Portugal have on paper the best squad at the Euros,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if they can get through that group and say like finish top or Come second in that group, then I think you've got to look at them. I mean, you've got it's probably Cristiano Ronaldo's last tournament at his kind of peak, and you have like Ruben Diaz at the back, who's probably the best defender in Europe this season, and their midfield just kind of splattered with all these wee technical players who are excellent. Um, so if you're going for an outs- outside bet,
0: then I think I would go for Portugal. <laughs> okay. Who do you fancy yourself? I, I find it difficult to see past France again when you just you look at the talents right that side. Um I did fancy them prior to the last World Cup, but at the same time, you know, I just thought that, that France are very often um, you know, underachievers with, with the players they have. But I think when you've got Mbappe obviously up front, I think he's going to be formidable. I think they've got a pretty solid defence, decent goalkeeper in Lloris. So, yeah, I, I think it's difficult to see past, past the French again. Um, as an outside, oh, difficult to always difficult to pick an outside bet. Um, I don't know, I think Germany may, may do better than people are perhaps expecting. Um, so, I, I, could eat, I could see even France and Germany coming out of that group together. Uh, it's very, very difficult. As far as the, the home nations go, I, I think you're right. I think England will win the group and potentially get to maybe the semi-final. I, I think England have get the players to get to a quarter semi-final. Um, but difficult maybe to see them getting past if, if they had to play a France or Germany or somebody like that at that stage. Um, yeah. Other than that, Wales, I think you're right again that it's a very tough looking group, but we thought that last time of Wales indeed, so you never know. Um, and Scotland, just to, to round off, <laughs> Scotland, I think Scotland will go through um, in third place. I think we can beat Croatia, uh, who have got some fantastic players but are an ageing side. They did brilliantly of course to get to World Cup final but I, I'm hoping anyway that a lot of these the Modric and, and some of these other guys are, are just that wee bit older and um, two years down the, three years down the line so yes I think we can beat Croatia probably draw with the Czechs and um, I think that'll be enough and yeah don't know if we'll get anything at Wembley I have to be honest on that one um, but yeah, yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, Steve Clark, of course, I think it's a right man for the job. Um, he was, you know, a revelation at uh, my own club, Kilmarnock, incredibly just two short years ago and here we are in the championship, but, um, you know, Steve Clark is, to me, he's, he's up there with, with the top, some of the top managers in the UK at the moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if, that will make a difference, I think, this time around for Scotland.
1: Yeah, we also have a really good record against Croatia. I think we've beaten them the last like three times or something. We played them, yeah, so. home and away, home and away. That's, so, yeah, yeah, um, and that was a, a much more Scotland team as well. Yes, <laughs> that yes. was when Scotland were really kind
0: of good yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. but so, uh, well, well, we hope. We hope. And we look we look forward to look forward to tournament and hopefully a lot of you know a decent football. And after after the year we've all had, of course, with COVID and, and not being able to get to stadiums. And you know, we just hope it can it can bring a bit of a a feel-good factor back to, to all part I, I do say absolutely all parts of the UK um over the next few weeks. And um yeah, let's enjoy it. Let's let's get a chance hopefully to enjoy it. So, Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you tonight and to hear about your own career and a very interesting pathway that you took there in, into sports journalism with The Daily Record and also with Not Meg. And also your your memories of um, growing up in the home of DC Thompson and, and of course, Champ and, and um, the Football Picture Story Monthly and, of course, you know, for our listeners, if, if you do get an opportunity, do get along to the, the Nutmeg website. Do check out Kevin's fantastic article on Football Picture Story Monthly, into to which he's clearly put a lot of research, um, not just, uh, you know, I think he's been a wee bit modest, saying that he, he he got some off eBay and tried to dig them out of the loft. I think there's, there's an awful lot of work going into that one. So do check that one out. And also... Um, As I said, do check us out, hopefully on Twitter, if you can. Um, As ever, we we will be doing some more shout-outs on any of your memories. Really good ones came in the other week on the the football video games from the past as well. So many thanks for joining us this evening. Next week, we will be back with the the usual team, I think, in place with uh, Ridders and Gull. And also, hopefully, Simo is going to be joining us then as well for a bit more chat about football comics. And also we'll be hearing um, the view from England uh, as well about the Euros to come. So thanks again, Kevin. No, thanks you. This pleasure was all mine. Oh, thank you. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's really us for this evening. And so wherever you're listening are on the international stage, We do hope you enjoyed it and do give us some feedback. So thank you and good night.